I think the trend that we're seeing like across the world is not a South African problem, is that humanity is becoming very contrasted. We're seeing extreme opinions being shared, particularly on social media. And with that means that people are less interested in finding out more about things that don't necessarily appeal to them directly. Have you ever wondered about how we make decisions about our money? Or why we feel the way we do about those decisions? Welcome to Nudging Financial Behavior, the podcast that aims to help you understand how and why you make certain decisions about money. Presented by Dr. Giselle Willows, an expert in behavioral finance. This podcast is all about looking at human behavior and biases, especially when it comes to your finances. You can catch the series on YouTube, the Nudging Financial Behavior blog, or on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to like and subscribe to ensure you don't miss an episode. Special thanks to our sponsor, IG Market South Africa, a world-leading online trading provider that gives you access to opportunities across thousands of financial markets through their intuitive platforms and apps. Let's get started. Welcome to Episode 7 of Nudging Financial Behaviour. I'm Dr. Shazal Willows. Thank you so much for joining us here today. In this series, it's my goal to help you recognize the biases that can subtly, and sometimes not so subtly, pull or push your thinking into making decisions about your finances that aren't entirely rational. When you're able to recognize these pushes and pulls, you'll be able to make smarter choices about your money, and hopefully, end up saving and earning more. In this episode, we're looking at confirmation bias. I'll also be talking to Rachel Alberts, a social media expert, about something called the echo chamber effect and feedback loop we get stuck in. Please click the like button and subscribe, and then let's get into it. As the name suggests, with confirmation bias, we go looking for information that confirms what we already believe. We also go a bit further than that and actively avoid evidence that might be contradictory to our opinion. Confirmation bias is the mother of most misconceptions and a dangerous practice in life. Let's look at an example. We're going to take someone who is passionate about something and has very strong opinions on the topic. Sorry, vegans, but I'm going to pick on you just a little bit here. But that's because you, rightly so, feel very strongly about your choices, which makes this an easy example to make my point. So, you're a vegan, and you believe that a plant-based diet is the only way to go. If I were to open up your Instagram feed, I'll probably see that you follow a lot of other vegans or plant-based influencers. You probably frequent a lot of the vegan pop-ups. And when you see an article that mentions anything along the lines of a plant-based diet can reverse diabetes or eating meat will kill you, you'll probably read it. What are you doing? You are taking in and subscribing to information about something that will most likely confirm what you already believe. You feel comfortable reading those pieces of information that confirm your existing beliefs about something and seeing other people promote a lifestyle that you're familiar with. Contrary to this, if you see or hear anything that says soy is bad or dairy contains essential nutrients you can't get anywhere else, even if the source is a medically reviewed journal, you'll probably ignore it. Why? Because you've already made up your mind that it's wrong. Please don't take this example as criticism. It's just an illustration of how we go about affirming our pre-existing attitudes. We can apply the same thinking to an example of someone investing in shares in a company. 
You might feel very strongly that a particular company holds the same ideals and values as you. Make it a place where you want to invest your money, and you feel confident about that decision. Suddenly, an article comes out that the company has been cutting corners and isn't as moral as it appeared to be. It's much easier to brush off that article as being sensationalist rather than engaging with the news and looking for other sources to see if the story holds true. You see, we all seek out and process information supporting our confirmation biases. This is because when we hear news that supports our opinion, we can simply accept it as being right and move on. But when we hear news that goes against our beliefs, we have to make a choice. We can either interrogate the information and make changes to our beliefs if necessary, or we can ignore it. Ignoring it is obviously much easier. I want to introduce you to another bias now, cognitive dissonance. We see consistency amongst our beliefs or opinions, also known as our cognitions. Dissonance occurs when there is inconsistency between our cognitions. As humans, we don't like being in a state of dissonance and we look for ways to reduce or remove it from our lives. And in order to do this, we rationalize situations that aren't good for us. Let's take a look at an example from the real world. Let's consider that you have a job where the hours are long, the pay is mediocre, and nobody respects the work that you're doing. Why would you freely be choosing to work there? You might respond by saying that you need the flexible hours the job gives you, or you don't think you could get a job elsewhere, or whatever else. But what are you actually doing? Because you're in an absurd situation, your mind is rationalizing it by inventing a comfortable illusion. So we tell ourselves that another job will not be as flexible. We tell ourselves that there's nothing else out there. We create a logical fallacy using cognitive biases, creating yet another example of cognitive dissonance. It's a mental conflict that we experience. When we're being presented with evidence that our assumptions or beliefs are incorrect, and because we as humans tend to exhibit a strong degree of self-denial, we tend to do something to eliminate that conflict, that cognitive dissonance. The scariest part is all the ways in which we can be convincing to ourselves, particularly with biased decision-making. Let's think specifically about our money decisions. You'd like to and want to build up your savings, but you tend to spend extra cash as soon as you get it. Now, when you're faced with a sudden unexpected expense and you don't have money for it, you regret spending all that extra cash. That regret and discomfort you feel is because of the dissonance, and that's cognitive dissonance for you. For those listening via your podcast platform, I'm showing our YouTubers a graph of this concept. If you'd like to see it, there'll be a link in the show notes for this episode for you to find it on our website. There are two solutions to cognitive dissonance. You can change your actions, remind yourself that spending extra cash straight away isn't going to help you achieve your goals, or you can change your belief and tell yourself something like, you don't earn enough money to make saving worth it. From here, you've given yourself permission to keep acting the way you've always acted. The notion of fundamental attribution error plays a big role with confirmation bias and cognitive dissonance. Do you remember what that is? Can we maybe play back something from the previous episode on this? Okay, here we go. Fundamental attribution error happens because we essentially have double standards. When looking at other people, we're able to attribute their behavior to their disposition, temperament, personality, genetics. But when we're looking at ourselves, particularly when something has gone wrong, we attribute our actions to situational factors. Let's consider jealousy, a normal human emotion that comes out when someone is more successful than you. 
you have two choices. You can accept that this person is very good at what they do and is therefore better at it than you. Or you can seek out evidence that shows that this person was given more or better opportunities than you to succeed. In the second version, you get to feel a lot better about yourself because you can tell yourself that you would have done just as well or even better if you'd had the same opportunities. Fundamental attribution error plays a role here because you're attributing the reason for the person's success incorrectly. So the big question is, how does confirmation bias and cognitive dissonance impact our financial decision-making? The truth is that confirmation bias limits you. It also leads you to make decisions without getting all the information first. As humans, we deal mostly in assumptions, and the vaguer they are, the stronger our confirmation bias. Whether you believe that a person in your life is inherently good or inherently bad, you'll find proof daily that supports your belief. If you've ever wondered why it's extremely difficult to have an intelligent conversation with someone about climate change, well, now you know why. Might prove to be an interesting confirmation bias experiment, though. Writer Aldous Huxley stated that facts do not cease to exist because they are ignored. But we become blind to disconfirming evidence and selective in how we interpret information. This is why our ancestors believed the Earth was fat for as long as they did. I mean, it's also why people today believe it again. According to Warren Buffett, what the human being is best at doing is interpreting all new information so that their prior conclusions remain intact. The thing about confirmation bias is that it often happens without us even deliberately seeking it out. Knowing how to overcome confirmation bias requires more than just intent. It requires proactive decision-making. You need to challenge yourself. I'm going to take a little sidestep here to talk about the social media echo chamber effect. Thanks to the internet, as well as search and social media algorithms, confirmation bias has become rampant. The online world is a breeding ground for confirmation bias. We tend to look at websites, blogs, and social profiles that mirror our views. The search engines and the social media platforms start to learn from your browsing and engagement activity. They then serve up adverts and suggestions for other profiles to follow based on your interests. This continues to reinforce your beliefs as you find more and more like-minded people online. Your circle of information resources widen, but the actual information you're getting becomes narrower and narrower. You end up in an echo chamber on social media where everyone around you has the exact same opinion. I know, it's difficult to overcome the bias when the algorithms also work against you. Thanks, Facebook. Although you could argue that it's not really Facebook or any other social media platform's fault when you consider the fact that these platforms were designed to bring like-minded people together. I've got Rachel Alberts, digital media lead at one of the top retailers in South Africa here to tell us a little bit more about this echo chamber effect and how it plays out on social media. Hi, Rachel, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Giselle. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Can you tell us a bit about where this concept of the echo chamber effect first came from in social media? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I think that the echo chamber and social media are kind of one and the same. I think the first time we saw social medias come about, like MySpace in the early 2000s and then Facebook shortly after that, is when we first saw echo chambers. Before social media, the sorts of internet platforms we were using were blogs or forums where you couldn't really decide who you wanted to talk to. That was kind of up to someone else. It was up to the internet provider. It was up to the website you were using. With the existence of social media like we know today, Facebook, Instagram, and to a less extent, Twitter, 
you choose who you want to be in your bubble. And I think that's where it all began when we were the ones making the decisions about who did we want to hear from and who was going to hear from us. So yeah, I'd say early 2000s, but it really hasn't slowed down since then. Not at all. So obviously these platforms bring like-minded people together. It's what we want to see, what we want to hear. So why is this something that we should be concerned about? I think the trend that we're seeing like, across the world, it's not a South African problem, is that humanity is becoming very contrasted. We're seeing extreme opinions being shared, particularly on social media. And with that means that people are less interested in finding out more about things that don't necessarily appeal to them directly. I think there's a lot of danger in only valuing the opinions of people who have a similar mindset or maybe even a similar background to you. And I think that's what a lot of the danger is. It also means that when you are constantly surrounding yourself with one kind of opinion, you're more susceptible to misinformation or even fake news because you are so you know, you're so hoping that what you already feel, and that's so human to want to be right, um, that yeah, you're kind of exposing yourself on purpose, sometimes unknowingly, actually, I dare not say on purpose. Um, you're exposing yourself to the, the same sort of opinions over and over again. And I think in the real world, we've seen um, an example in, you know, in America with the, the rise of the alt-right due directly to echo chambers and to people not willing to look beyond they're very small circles. And, you know, we've seen the real world effect of that, storming the capital, hate crimes against minority groups and stuff like that. So I'd say those are probably my biggest concerns and people, what people should be concerned about when it comes to echo chambers. Yes, some um, very, very serious concerns there. And I suppose we also know that the best form of decision making happens when you have diversity of opinion in a room. So if you don't have that diversity, you don't have the best decision making. One more question then. Do you have any tips for us? Because, you know, it's so tempting and it's so much easier to only talk to people who think like you. So how do we break this confirmation feedback loop that we tend to get ourselves into? Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, you know, in my own life. It's something that I've been trying to actively remove myself from. I think the first thing is self-awareness and to acknowledge that it is something that we're all susceptible to, you know. Um, and funny enough, I think anyone watching this this interview is probably in the right space already. Um, if you've opened your mind up to learning something new, you're already on the right track. Um, uh, my number one tip is to make an active, active effort to follow people you wouldn't usually follow people whose opinions maybe you're not likely to agree with, which is so hard. Let me, let me be um, honest about that. It's not an easy thing to, you know, subscribe to someone who is always sharing information that you don't agree with. But I think it's a great one. Um, the other thing is if you notice yourself, and I see this in myself a lot, um, notice yourself being emotionally attached to a certain opinion or idea, acknowledge that. And when you are feeling particularly strongly about, you know, I'm going to use vaccines, vaccines as an example, which we know were so controversial when they came out and we saw a lot of um, information in both directions, but to take a step back and to find the expert opinion, which is not always you or your friend on Facebook and to look for resources that um, are trusted and, you know, have actual, you know, there's actual research that goes into those sorts of opinions. Um, so that's my other tip. And then uh, the last tip that I think is my little bit left field, but I was having a conversation with someone recently and we were talking about a friend of ours who has these opinions that we don't necessarily agree with and how we're able. And yeah, well, the lesson I want to share there is that 
it's really easy when you have a friend who has an opinion you don't agree with to look past the opinion for the person. But on social media, it's, it's not as easy. You know, we tend to conflate a bad opinion with a whole person. And I think showing compassion for fellow users online and maybe for yourself to say that, you know, just because someone has an opinion that you don't agree with, it doesn't necessarily mean they're a bad person. And what else is going on and what is the context around this? I think that's another helpful tip to be compassionate about the to be compassionate for the person on the other side of the screen or people. Thank you. Some good tips. Not easy to do, but definitely worthwhile trying our best. You were telling me earlier before we started recording about a story where you saw confirmation bias on Twitter and it was a great example. I wanted to share a little bit about um, how I've seen confirmation bias play out in personal finance bloggers that I follow. Um, a few weeks ago, some well, it was probably a few months ago now, uh, someone was tweeting how they hated their bank, they got really bad service and they're leaving this bank forever. That is their right, I completely understand. And then I just thought it was quite funny that ever since, like two weeks after that, they were tweeting, oh, the share price has dropped for this bank that they you know, were no longer with. And it's probably because I waited in such a long line at the ATM three months ago. And, you know, all these like little things where even though as a finance, someone in finance, you should have the full spectrum of information to know that a long line at an ATM isn't going to mean a bad share price come the end of the financial year. You'll still see those like um, tidbits of people wanting to believe that their experience is the reason something else is happening or something is happening because they had a bad experience and obviously everyone else is also having that experience. Um, that was just something interesting I've seen. It's funny, but also quite scary how it really is everywhere. Thank you so much for your time, Rachel. I'm sure you're starting to notice a trend. These biases are intrinsically part of us, so they're not easy to combat. However, being aware of the influence that they have and being aware of the influence that the outside world can have on our decision-making can really help. I would also advise you to not get any tips or information for investments from Facebook. On that note, we've come to the end of our episode on confirmation bias here on Nudging Financial Behavior. Please like and subscribe. In episode eight, we'll be breaking down the framing effect. See you there. That was Nudging Financial Behavior, hosted by behavioral finance expert, Dr. Giselle Willows. Make sure you like and subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. You can catch the Nudging Financial Behavior podcast on YouTube, our blog, or your favorite podcast streaming platform. Thank you again to our sponsors, IG Market South Africa, for helping to bring the show to life. And now for the disclaimer. This podcast should not be seen as advice. All the information and opinions are of a general nature. They are not intended to address the needs or circumstances of any individual. We are not financial advisors, neither are any of our staff or service providers, nor is our sponsor. All expressions of opinion by the host or guest are subject to change without notice in reaction to shifting market conditions. Any information you get from us should be seen as only that, information only.